Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's the Autosport Podcast. We're joined by Corvette racing star Oliver Gavin to discuss the challenge of the Le Mans 24 hours. With the Le Mans 24 hours on the weekend of June the 15th, 16th, just around the corner, we're lucky enough to have one of the great race's most successful drivers of the 21st century to offer his insight by way of preview for the 2019 edition and also talk a little about his long career in the race. I'm your host, Ed Stewart, and our guest is Corvette Racing's Oliver Gavin. He has five victories to his name in GT machinery, set for his 19th Le Mans start. That's continuing a run that stretches all the way back to 2001. So presumably this is a race that, that just never gets old. Uh, no, certainly, certainly doesn't. Uh, you know, it's always a great race with huge passion, huge uh, atmosphere. Um, I think every year the ACO managed to really build it up and, and, and make a fantastic event of it. Um, and standing there on the grid, grid each time, each year, um, the hair has been standing up the back of my neck and, you know, you get the goosebumps. And uh, you think, yeah, this is a huge, huge sporting event and something I've been extremely lucky to, to, to be part of for, what, 18, 19 years now. So. Also joining me is, is Gary Watkins, who's our uh, sports car expert, our expert witness, shall we say. And obviously you're a fixture at Le Mans, but 
the sight of Oliver Gavin in a, in a yellow Corvette rumbling around the circuit has been almost almost as regular a feature well, as you have been, stretching all the way back to 2002. All but one of uh, Oliver's Le Mans stars right. have been in the Corvettes, uh, in the yellow Corvette. And the amazing thing for me is that we're celebrating 20 years of Corvette racing at Le Mans this year. Yeah, which, it's pretty extraordinary. Which is just unprecedented for a manu- for a sort of coherent manufacturer program. Sure, Porsche had a longer extended spell from the 50s until sort of the end of the 917 in uh, 1971. But, uh, you know, yellow Corvettes going back year after year, you know, that kind of program is we've never had before. No, I, I think, you know, I think all of us go there each year, sort of pinching ourselves a little bit, going, well, we're back again for another year. Yeah, this is this is this is fantastic, and yeah, the the you know when you look at all the big programs that have happened, you know whether it's stuff that Porsche's done or Audi or you know Toyota now, um, you know you sort of think, wow, we're even longer than all those guys. That's that's, that's pretty impressive. Well, of course, what we forget, of course, is that um, Audi's uh, sort of two thousand to two thousand sixteen uh, was interrupted. Sorry, 17, no, 16. Sorry, can't remember. Uh, was interrupted by two years, which they happened to win, but they were represented by privateers. You yeah. know, people, people in the sort of, people forgotten that, haven't they? Yeah, completely. Uh, so, so, yeah, it's just remarkable that year on, year out, we see two yellow Chevrolet Corvettes at Le Mans. Yeah, I, I mean, I, um, I've been fortunate enough to, to sort of start there for them. You know, this would be my, my 18th time with them. Um, and uh, it's, it, it's, you know, one of, those, one of those races where, as a kid, you sort of thought, this is epic stuff. You know, we heroes racing around and driving in the, in the great event. And, uh, you know, you, to be part of it and to be part of such a big American team that's, you know, has a lot of success there. You know, uh, we've won eight times and we're looking for number nine and, you know. Not a bad hit rate. No, 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 it's, 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 not, it's not a bad bad hit rate. I mean, there, uh, there were some years where we were, you know, competing against some competition that, you know, let's say it was between us and Aston Martin for a number of seasons. But how competitive yeah, were some it, of those it was, races? It was amazingly competitive those years. And, and uh, I actually had dinner with uh, Darren Turner last night. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, we were talking a little bit about that and, and reminiscing a little bit. And uh, we've got some fantastic memories and some great races and some some ones where, you know, it, it went our way, but it also went their way. And, and I think it really sort of set the bar for, for, for GT racing there at, at Le Mans. And I think that's an interesting point, actually, yeah, in that we, it's continued from there into the sort of manufacturer era in what was originally GT2. And we've now, you know, over full-on, big money, highly professional, professional, you know, highly professional manufacturer teams. Yeah, I think the trend was continued. And we're now in a, well, we're probably at the end of a glorious period heading towards a slightly less glorious period with BMW and Ford going. But anyway, I think, you know, we've had an amazing period for the last, this this decade really, haven't we? Yeah, I, I think, I really think so. And, you know, th- the competition level has gone uh, really through the roof and year on year, people would ask me, you know, whether it was over in, in the States or, or back here in the UK, you know, 
what do you think your chances are, you know, after having a number of years of success, you know, through the sort of 2004, 5, 6, and even into sort of late, you know, 2010, 2011, we were knocking on the door and our teammates were winning. And, but then, you know, the, the, the GTE Pro sort of era came along and you've, you've got unbelievable talent from all of those manufacturers in terms of drivers, in terms of teams, in terms of machinery that they're bringing, cars. And, you know, it, it, it got, the bar just get, kept being raised year on year on year. And, you know, last year, was it 17 cars in our class? Mm. And I think you could have thrown a blanket over a good 14 of those. And any one of those cars could have won, really. Well, apart from the car out front. <laughs> yeah, there was, there, was, there was that with that little uh, safety car deal that they had. Uh, but, you know, that's sometimes the way it goes. And, and uh, you know, I'm sure we're going to get onto this, but, but the race is so competitive and so fierce that one little thing, turns it mm-hmm. and there's no room for any error and so the pressure on everyone is dialed all the way around to the max mm-hmm. right from word go as soon as you get there on on the sunday you know even at, at the test day the, the pressure is being ramped up and with that has it become more intense in terms of the lap times you need to do as a driver because Historically, you think endurance racing, you can get away with being a bit kind of eight tenths, nine tenths. But now, particularly in GTE Pro, which has been ridiculous for the past few years, it just looks like a a sprint race. Yes, it is. And, you know, every stint is being examined, looked at. You know, all your averages are being sort of poured over by engineers and your teammates, yourself. Um, You know, so that's in terms of lap time averages. And, you know, have you gained time? You know, have you won time to your competitors or have you lost time? You know, is that the right tire to be on? Do we need to switch to the other one? You know, do we need to change the car at all? You know, what adjustments can we make? You know, pressures, are they right? You know, we're going through every area to try and maximise what you've got. And you'll be going over data, you'll be looking at um, on board if you can. Um, you know, you're just... You know that, that every other manufacturer and every other driver and team are looking in every area to maximise their performance lap on lap on lap. So it really is almost like qualifying laps every lap. So you're just looking to steal a march on, on everybody all the time. And, and that's why it's so – it's fantastic to watch. It's great to be part of, but the pressure is, is, is like I say, pretty extraordinary at times. I suppose it's it's good to know that you can still hold your own in, in yeah. that environment. You're not you're yeah. the youngest driver. No, 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 to no. Say, but you're you're still in there yeah. in the thick of it, able to perform at that level. Yes, and and uh, you know that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm still there and I'm still competing with Corvette Racing. And uh, you know the stopwatch never lies. And so you've you've I'm backing myself and and the team are backing me. Um, and you know I'm there with uh, fantastic teammates. You know all with brilliant pedigrees. All with. I think there's some 19 victories now between all six of us that are in the team. And, uh, you know, whether you're looking at the, the likes of Mike and, and Marcel who won the race outright or all the, the, the class victories that Tommy and, and Antonio and Jan have got, you know, you, you, it's, it, it's a massive amount of experience and we all know how to win this race. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, we try and pull all of that and put it all together and, uh, try and come up with the best strategy and the best way forward. And, and you know, that's managed success, ex- extremely well by all the, the big guys at Corvette. I mean, we're talking about the old GT1 days. 
And you, well, I was talking to you on the phone uh, several weeks ago. Yeah. You, you were talking about your favourite victory, and I asked you, and it was the completion of your 04, 05, 06 hat trick. Yes. I mean, is that was that because you got the hat trick? You you kept the. Do you keep? Is there a trophy to keep for well, you? Well, <laughs> you, you're given a trophy. Uh, each driver is given a trophy on the podium, but there's uh, and there's a trophy for the team and the car. Um, um, so no, there's no trophy that you sort of keep for the year and then give back. Mm. Let's say, um, but um, you as know, there is for the overall, yeah, winner, as there is for the overall. There's there's not that in in the GT class, but um, you know, it's it it was the fact that it was the it was the same three drivers in the same number car three years in a row, and uh, that was pretty special. And and you know, uh, I was obviously thrilled to be part of of that team and still be part of the team and to share the car with with those those two guys and and you know crew chief uh was a, was the same across um you know Ray Gongler was my crew chief for all three of those years and yeah so that was pretty special uh, to be able to, to do that and and you know all three of the races were, were really quite different you know um and, and so you, you sort of look back at those years and yeah, yes, very rose tinted spectacles, but, but it was extremely hard competing against the guys from pro drive. Um, you know, Oh four was against the Ferrari. Oh five and Oh six was against the, the Aston. So, yeah. Interestingly, I was speaking uh, to Tommy Milner right. about his favorite one and he, he picks 15. Right. Uh, and, uh, and again, I think, um, that, that's a race in the sort of Corvette, uh, history that that people point to because of the sort of the team spirit. Jan had crashed. He'd had yeah. the throttle stick in the Porsche curves. Yeah. Car was not capable of racing. Mm. So you're down to one car, and I think it's the way the whole team pulled together. There was it, it is a remarkable story, and you know certainly the atmosphere in the team. I've never seen it or or, or sort of feel it sort of plummet to such a such depths as it did on that on, on that sort of evening there uh, on on the Wednesday at uh, at Le Mans that year in 2015, and you know the the sort of that realization sort of was sort of sweeping across people's faces, you know that that we were going to be down to one car, and that you know this is a really big deal, and and that was because of Jan Magnussen's qualifying crash, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It was down, it was down to the qualifying crash and and he, the throttle stuff. Yeah, didn't the, it? yes, it and did. The and, and, that was a big uh, shunt, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 it was. And you know, once we had established that Jan was okay and that uh, you know he was back in the garage, and then you know we then started to look across at, at the data and see what what had happened and. And yeah, you, you, you sort of then start sort of trying to piece it all back together and trying to sort of go, okay, well, we've still got one car in this race. We've still got to press on here. We've still, and, and, and the ability for all of the team to rally around and pull, pick themselves up and go, look, we, we can still win this. But obviously we've only got, as, as the Americans would say, you know, only got one bullet in the gun, mm -hmm. you know, and so, uh, you know, it was really that one shot. And, and I kind of know why. Why another reason was sort of why Tommy sort of picks it was because he drove so bloody well that race. Oh, really? Right. <laughs> and he was so fast, and he, he just did an amazing job. I mean, he he really was on fire that day, and you know, and 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 Jordan as well. He he came, he, he stepped up, and and it was sort of like I, I could see that the the, the, the two of them 
the two youngsters really came to that race and 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 they really sort of did come of age that i feel um that race it was a real sort of turning point i feel for both of them um yeah because the pressure was massive as always and uh you you know you can't make mistakes you you've got to you've got to be on it and you know the ferrari is breathing down our neck and and then the ferrari got in front of us uh i think with with a couple of hours to go and uh, I was in the car to do the finish and I was chasing, chasing, chasing and uh, we were gaining, but it was going to be tough and really tight. But then they had their problem with the gearbox yeah. and, uh, and and we passed and we were through and, I, and, and, and then you're sort of into the realms of, okay, what are all those funny noises? You know, what are all those little things and feelings and strange things going on? And, and you try and you're calling on all the experience and you're trying to sort of go, you know, no, there's nothing wrong, you know, this is all completely normal. This is all completely as it should be. Stop trying to make and create a problem. Keep off the radio. Just keep your head down and drive. And then it started raining and little showers of rain out the back. And, and so you, you're on the radio to the team and they're giving you the, 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 the latest on the weather. And, and, and then I strangely, I was driving around the track and at certain points on the track, you can see the big screens. And I could see the screen as I was sort of driving by, and it's a picture of the garage of Tommy and Jordan and also my family standing there in, in the garage. And everybody looked, well, looked terrified. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they, they all sort of looked, oh, God, you know, just need this done now. You know, we just need – just, I think – because of the week we'd had, you know, it was sort of like, we just need to get this over the line. And, and, and then it's almost that sort of sense of relief. You know, there was, there was a celebration in the, in the garage, but I think it was almost a sense of relief to get over, over the line, you know, and, and, and get it done and not something else disastrous happen and the rug get pulled from our feet, uh, you know, once again. And the other reason uh, Tommy told me that he picked it is because he reckons you did the most amazing post-checkered flag burnout he's ever seen. <laughs> and I actually did look uh, in Autosport magazine from that issue. And it, I don't know if you've got that picture, but you should get that picture and have, have it on a wall somewhere. I have, I have it's, got it. It's, it. He's absolutely right. It's, yeah. it's fantastic. I have got that picture. And actually, the story behind that was that I thought, okay, because this is the first year that the ACO had said at the driver's briefing, okay, after the checkered flag, we're going to do one full cool-down lap. Mm -hmm. So we're going to, you know, take you all the way around the track again. And so as I'm on that cool-down lap, I'm sort of thinking, oh, it'd, be, it'd be pretty cool to do a burnout right in front of the, mm -hmm. uh, in front of our guys. Because, of course, Park Fermi is then beyond... Just, just after, after the, yeah, after the, the pits again. Pits yeah. again, yeah. So um, I thought, right, well, I better just sort of practice this a bit, you uh -huh. know, so I can get it just about right so I don't completely screw it up. And so um, I come out of, uh, I come down to Indianapolis and then through and uh, out of Arnage and I've slowed right down and I've got it down into first gear and I, I get the old revs up and I, I dump the clutch and I do this almighty burnout, but somehow I've dropped the car over the sort of crest in the road and then the car has starts having this massive fishtail no. and then I nearly put it straight in the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and so... At, at this point, I'm thinking, what am I doing? 
you know, come on, <laughs> just get it back to the line. We need to get it done and back and not in a, in a, in a mess, you know, in the wall. So I then come back to, to the, the line, come over the line and then I do, do the burnout and, I think I managed to do a pretty good job. Right. So, so the boys were happy, very, very happy. Yeah. You know, one of your t- former teammates, well, one of your teammates, one of your former co-drivers, Jan, has a bit of a history in the burnout department. I do believe it was at Portland in the ALMS yeah. when he won with Brabham. Yeah. He almost did a, a Bjorn Verheim. Oh, really? And uh, almost did it too early. Well, I think he did and then realized he needed to accelerate to uh, take the win. Oh, did, so really? In ALMS times, yeah. So that's the famous three thousand Monaco race you're referring to. Yes, exactly. Third yeah. one lifted a Nick Keyser one, yeah. All right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, Bjorn, to bring this up. All right. <laughs> I imagine he gets that a lot, but um, but you mentioned that that kind of feeling of always oh, something going to go wrong. But of course, you have been on the the, the wrong end of of, of Le Mans because it is a, a cruel race. Mm-hmm. 2011 springs to mind when. Uh, yeah, when, uh, when uh, Jan Magnussen got caught up with a with a Porsche, didn't he? Yeah, on Sunday morning you had that race in the bag. I mean that that must be so hard to yeah. take when you've done all the hard work almost. Yeah, I, I that was a a particularly hard hard race. I, I sort of look back at that one in particular, and and I go, well, you know, the car for me was great. I loved it. I really enjoyed driving it, but I know Jan didn't, and it was it was the most uh, it's, the, it's the biggest difference that I've seen in, in terms of what I w- was wanting from the car and what Jan was wanting from the car. And also talking, you know, through subsequent years, talking with them about their own car and our own car when we're on separate cars. And so it, it was, it was, it was strange how I really liked it and Jan didn't. Um, but the incident that he had was completely out of the blue and just one of those things, you know, the sun's come up. Um, you're thinking, okay, right, we're, I think we were nearly two laps in the lead. We were in full control of everything. And um, he was trying to pass the Porsche coming out the Porsche curves and uh, didn't see Jan. Um, Jan gets on the grass, they collide, and then, then they both end up going off and into the wall. And I can just see Brian Hoy, my crew chief's face, and Gary Pratt's face or, of this sort of disbelief of this, that that can't be happening. You know, they're looking at the screen and the car is, you know, bouncing off the wall and it's smoking, it's stoved in in the back, it's got numerous things missing, including the rear wing. And Jan's trying to get it back, but realises that he can't. He had a damn good go, though, as yeah, if yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did have a damn good go. Um but and he came to rest sort of by the pet entry, so it wasn't as if it was that far no, away. No, he it? was within just, sight. Just, just yes, to make it even yeah, more he was. He, he, he was, and I'm not. We we wouldn't have been able to fix it though. I mean, it was it was it needed to go back on the chassis plate and get straightened out. And I mean, it was done. Um, and yeah, it was it was a, it, it was also a huge accident for for the chap driving uh, Felbermeyer. Felbermeyer, yes, who was hospital. I think he did some ribs, didn't he? I think that he did a bit more than that. Yeah, he maybe. was quite, really quite badly hurt. Well, he, he was an old man, remember? Yeah, but it, so you know, he still had the license to race and compete, and and you know, and this is a, a, a an ongoing sort of story, really, with the race and with with sports car racing. You know, that these gentlemen are in in the in the race. Uh, they help keep the race going, and 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 they bring funding to it, and they want to be part of it. But yeah, that that did really completely 
smack us clean between the eyes and, 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 and knock us all back down into our seats. And we were all sitting there really stunned for for a long, long time. And it was it was a hard one to take. Um, and Jan came back afterwards and, you know, he was... He was he was distraught, you know. He was devastated for 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 the team and for all of us, you know. And and you know, we we had quite a long chat about it. And um, you know, it's it, it it it's a really hard one to wear, but you realise that that's the race, that's the way it can be, and and it can just completely bite you. You know, everybody has a story like that well, when they've competed there for this long. Tom Christensen, nine wins, but the two years he had the biggest lead of any of his times at Le Mans, freak problems put him out. Four laps, give or take, in 99 in the BMW. Right. And the throttle sticks open because the anti-roll bar breaks, drops down, uh, a small part of the anti-roll bar broke, dropped down, and jammed the throttle in the Porsche curves on JJ Leto. 2007, the year before the great win for Christensen, McNish and Capello. Was that when the wheel came The wheel nut came off. But it wasn't after a pit stop, no, Well, was it? it was after a pit stop, yeah, but, but they hadn't changed tyres. So it was 15 laps after a pit stop, after a wheel change. It's bizarre, and it? And I actually asked um, uh, Joost, well, Ralph Jutner, uh, the, the boss of Joost, about if they ever found out what happened and they go well we might have done if we'd have found the wheel nut but it's it it, it probably bounced a bounce for a kilometer or so into the woods yeah, so the we'll woods never somewhere. find it yeah, but yeah. that i think that shows you isn't it that le mans is is yeah ev- everyone has a hard luck story of even course. tom christensen yeah and you know and he has done a, an amazing job and has just been a a, a phenomenal race car driver there at at that race, you know, he's had such an amazing performance. Mm. The, the other story I like about Corvette racing and its will to win is 2004 when you, I mean, obviously you won the race yeah. uh, with uh, Jan and uh, Olivier Beretta, but the other car got involved in quite a few dings and dongs. Oh, we all did, I think. Well, I think you did as well, yeah, actually. Yeah, yes. yeah, I did. Yeah, and, yeah. and I know Jan did. And... Uh, uh, there was a point in that race where the team were on the radio saying, look, we have no more spares. Do not go off the road again. Do not hit anything. Do not touch anything. We, we, we're done. You know, you, you, you damage the car anymore. You know, we can't continue. And at the back of our garage, there was this huge pile of bodywork. It was like a mountain of bodywork. And in the end, we finished the race with... Uh, the there was a show car. There was a show yeah, car. This is my story. You'll tell it better than me. Sorry, but there was a, there was a, after all the numerous incidents and, and, and accidents. Uh, I think Jan had had an incident with Jamie Davies in the in the uh, in the Audi, uh, the champion. I think it was no no Velox 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 Audi. Yeah, yeah. and then I would had a run in with someone going through the first chicane just after they'd fixed it. I think from Jan's incident. I'd taken it through the gravel at the first chicane. And there was numerous other things that had happened. And uh, then it came to a sort of the last few hours and there was something else that went wrong. And, and in the end, they went down to the show car. That was Which down, was in the, in the village, yes, the old the, village. The old village. Yeah. 
and they got the rear deck off the car and I think one of the other panels and we finished the race with the, the show car body. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just was, we had nothing else. We'd gone through every piece of bodywork. And that's just, a, you know, an amazing sort of story of this will to win, resourcefulness, trying to sort of think outside the box, thinking about, okay, what can we do to get this, keep this car going because we can win this race? And uh, they, it just shows you how great Corvette racing is. Because I'm told the show car was, it was a, a, a dummy chassis. Yeah. But obviously it was dressed. Yes. In bits of probably one spec old bodywork, yeah. I suspect. Yeah, but we just needed something <laughs> to slap on the car to get it over the line, you know. And yeah, it was, oh, I do remember that year just being this, uh, I think Doug Feehan came and, and I was standing there in the pit lane about to get in the car and, you know, the car's maybe almost just coming into, into the pit lane and, and, and Feehan sort of grabs me, turns me around. He says, don't you screw this up. Do not go off again. And he gave me a serious talking to. And I was definitely put on, on the step, you know. You're right. Yeah, do not, do not screw this up. So, you know, sometimes it takes a bit of that. And mm. he, he sort of put me in my place and, and uh, made sure that I understood the gravity of the situation. I mean, Doug, I mean, really, we should talk a little bit more about him because he's been a constant yep. throughout the, the program. And yep. obviously there's been Gary Pratt from Pratt and Miller and a, f a few others have been constants. Mm. But, you know, uh, I think Doug is just so important in in the success of the program, but also the fact that it's still going. Yeah, I mean, he has at times kept the program running, like you say, single-handedly, you know, keeping the people at the Rensen engaged and understanding of what we're trying to do here and keeping the Corvettes going back each year to Le Mans. He is really instrumental in it and he's he has been just this huge figurehead of the program. And, you know, he's he is an unbelievable character and somebody with a million stories and someone that you should get on something like this because he could just sit here and talk and talk and talk and keep you guys entertained for hours. But he, he, yeah, I mean, he's he he is uh, a legend, let's say, um, of of the race um, and of Corvette racing. Um, and he was the person who who got me my job there. Mm -hmm. You know, it was Ron Fellows who told me to go and have a chat with Doug Feehan. Really? Yeah, and I then picked up the phone and had a chat with Doug mm -hmm. Feehan, and then I met Doug Feehan at Laguna Seca. In 2001. But he knew what you could do from the Conrad. Yes. From beating them at Seabury. Absolutely, yeah. Which, so, which is also a good story. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so you, 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 sort of, you, you sort of join the dots up and you sort of go, okay, right, well, how I ended up getting there. And then you, you look at a lot of the other drivers and how they've ended up at Corvette Racing. By beating Corvettes. Yes, exactly. Uh, Olivier Beretta. Yep. Antonio Garcia. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He was beating us in the Ferrari. Of course, he did a few races. Yes, with, he did yeah, it, in the in the ALMS. Yeah, and then Tommy was beating us in the BMW. Yeah. So you know when you when you sort of look at all of that, you go, okay, well, he that's one of the one of his strategies was okay. We need to take those guys away from those other manufacturers because <laughs> yeah. they're the guys that are making that thing work and and beating us. And so you know when uh, it, it it's it kind of it, it worked it worked with me and 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 then obviously Olivier and then Jan. And so you can sort of see their strategy and it's worked. 
you know it's you know we've had all this success and but yeah he's he's a, he's a remarkable man and he's always got a story and he's always got something going on and uh, you know his Corvette corrals that we have each weekend in in, in the United States uh, he reels out a story and you you as you're being brought along to the 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 corral you know there's say Watkins Glen there's maybe 400 people in the tent and you can hear him talking you can hear all of them laughing to his stories and there's always something that's from well Watkins Glen is always after Le Mans and so there'll be some story from Le Mans that he's regaling them with and it's you know it's there's an element of truth in the story, you know, but he's, <laughs> he's, he's always sort of like... A little embellishment yeah, along just, the way. Yeah, you know, he loves a bit of that. But he's, he's a great raconteur, isn't he? Yeah, you know, he, he should is. have actually been on the stage. Well, I've, yeah, but then we would have missed him in motor racing, wouldn't yeah, we? Yeah, so, I suppose uh, so, I suppose so. To get a bit of a feel for how, how things have changed with the cars, obviously we, we're used to these yellow Corvettes, but they've, I presume, even though kind of ostensibly they look similar from a, from a distance... It, is there kind of a, a sort of family lineage through the cars? Do they do they all feel feel similar, or have there been big changes in that period in terms of how they are to drive? Well, you know that the, Pratt and Miller have been the people who who have put the they put the C five R together, the C six R, and then the, that that was the sort of GTS and GT one cars, and then of course we switched from GT one into GT two with it, with the C six, and then we then moved to the C7R. And yes, they're all front engine. They've all got a, a very sort of definite sort of Pratt & Miller feel to them. Um, but they have all developed and evolved and uh, the understandings of, of a lot of things, as with every race car, has, has moved on and developed, you know, whether it's with the aerodynamics of the car or the weight distribution of the car or, or the materials that they're using or, you know, the homologation rules and all that sort of stuff. You know, it's, it has uh, moved on substantially. But I would say fundamentally, you know, the driving style that I had in the, the, the C5R is not too different to the driving style I've now got in the C7R. Um, one of the biggest changes, though, when we went, was when we went from Goodyear to Michelin. And that was our most probably our biggest overall performance gain of anything we've ever done. Um, and that was pretty extraordinary. Was that 04 or 05? That was going into, oh, oh golly, no, yeah. I think it was 04. Yes, it was 04 because it coincided with Olivier joining. Yeah. So I think I think Jan and Olivier did a couple of tests on the Goodyear. <laughs> they went, oh, this is not very good. And then we started testing on the Michelin. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of like, yep. Of course, Olivier has very close links. Yes, with, yeah, um, exactly. And, Michelin, and, and, and uh, he was still doing a lot of testing in Formula One for them at the time. And, you know, so he had a very close relationship with them. So I'm not sure whether any of that helped. I don't know whether there was any of that that, that helped. Well, so, it was a big emotional decision for Chevrolet because certainly at that point, certainly when the program started, Corvette made a big thing of saying every uh, Corvette delivered new from yeah. the factory had been, Kentucky, yeah. had been delivered yeah. on Goodyear tyres. Yeah, the, so they, you had to race them. Yeah, so the, the, the OEM deal was, was, was huge. And, uh, then, you know, once we went to that on the racing program, I think it was only a matter of time before 
the Michelin that then appeared on the road car. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's been a for us and performance-wise, it's been it's been spectacular. It's been great, and and you know, that is the go-to tire for everyone now in our class. One thing I wanted to ask about: you talked about the the kind of different standards of drivers that you touched on that earlier. Often people talk about the obviously the P1 drivers dealing with slower traffic, but you're kind of in the middle in that obviously all the GTE Pro drivers are high-quality professional drivers. You know where you stand with them, but then you've got P2 cars that could have a proper platinum professional in it could have a bronze as a few bronzes even in those cars you've got the gtm cars that could have a strong driver in at that time or could have someone a bit more sketchy how difficult is it to be in the, the kind of middle should we say because obviously you, the gte pro guys less than anyone can afford even to give away a yes, second unnecessarily I mean, the, and, and that's a, that is another point to the race where you have to be uh really on your game in terms of how you're getting your, yourself past those slower drivers or in the fa- a relatively fast car, but it is a slower driver, you know it is. And you can sort of get the sense from the body language of the car and some of the places it's being put on the track and, and how it just how it's being driven. You, you, you get a good, you don't necessarily have to be told by the team who it is in the car. You can sort of almost recognize who it is if you've come across that car a couple of times. Um, but it, it is all part of the, and, and, and parcel of the race and the nature of things there at Le Mans. And it can, it can undo you. It really can. And you've, by, by you being um, just a little bit overeager and less patient, let's say, to get by a guy like that, um, that, that can shape your race. And, and so, you know, we're being told all the time on the radio, uh, you know, on, on, on trying to be smart and clean and keep a cool head, and um, but it's tough to do when you when you you're there. You're a pack of four or five cars, and and everybody is you know looking to pounce on any mistake, and you're you're hoping that that this guy is going to trip the guy up in front of you so you can get by him. Um, you know, and, and, you know, any of the other guys that are behind you, you're hoping that that guy is going to slow them up, you know. So you're using trying to use the traffic as a bit of a pick at times to give you an advantage and, and uh, try and slow your your competitors down. But it, it is part of the skill of it and understanding, you know, where you are on the track. And you sometimes do take a little bit more of a risk to get by someone, particularly if you know that you're going to be caught up behind. You know, Porsche Curves is a classic example. You know, if you're following a slower car into there, you know you've got to take a pretty big risk to get by that car in those corners, which is not always advisable. Um, so if you can get the, the, the pass done before you get into that section of track, then you know that you you're likely to make an advantage over if there's someone close behind you because they're going to get held up unless they've managed to hustle themselves by as well. But that's the risk that they could be taking, you know, getting contact and maybe getting a punch or breaking something or bodywork damage, you know. So it's all these these decisions that you're trying to make on the fly and use your experience. And you can sometimes see, I think it was 2015, um, I was out in the night and I think I was racing one of the Astons very, very hard. And we were battling a, 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 for, the, for the lead or we were second or third or, or something like that. And I think the, the chap in the car 
was less experienced. I think it was Fernando Reese. I think he'd done Le Mans a few times, but he had not done it a lot. Mm-hmm. And he was pressurizing himself. I could see he was pressurizing himself because he knew that he was battling and battling for one of the top spots in the class. And and it was a night and you could see that it, as I was slowly applying the pressure more and more and more, he was getting more and more ragged. And then another car got in the mix and that was it. And he went off and threw the gravel and that was pretty much the end of their, their effort. Well, I think he had an off after a brake change, actually, if I remember. Potentially on the out lap or his first flying lap after they had changed yeah, I think discs I, and pads? He was, I think that I'd got, I'd got past him before that point. Mm-hmm. And I'd sort of, maybe I'm, I'm confusing the, 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 the through the gravel bit with that. With the, with, but I know that I, I ended up hustling him and pushing him into an error. Uh, and and getting by him, and I think that was at the first chicane as well. And there was another car involved, but it's it it is um, it's a it's a nature it's 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 something that happens in the race, and it's something you've got to kind of got to deal with. But it it uh, yeah, when when you look at the the pro drivers in our class, and you can see the guys who are unbelievably fast, and they're taking some of the biggest risks, and you're thinking. This is going to pay off. Yeah, you're going to get, if, you know, you're going to get yourself up the road, but it's going to bite you at some point. And sometimes it doesn't. You know, they take those big risks and it, and it just all works out for them. But then other times you'll then see the car off or damaged or puncture or in an incident, something hanging off of it. And I suppose that's just sometimes experience that you've built up over the years and you can sort of kind of see a situation coming. I've written a story about the simulator program that the ACO uh, run. It's going to be in Autosports Le Mans supplement uh, in a week or so's time. And the ACO are very proud of that. Uh, and they do feel that the the quality of driver and the the way they prepare is much better now than it was back in the day. Would you would you would you agree that the sort of the standard is is up? I think it is. I think that they are they've they've worked at that and they know that it was a number of years back it was quite a problem. Um, and it was causing some well, some really horrendous accidents. You know, Mike Rockefeller is a very lucky lad. Um, you know, that that was just 2011, I believe. That yeah, that was, was terrifying. That was I was, I came around the corner, or sort of coming down to Indianapolis, most probably 20 seconds after the crash had happened, and there was bodywork everywhere. There was marshals on the track, and there was very little flagging going on, and it just the whole area was just in in, in this sort of huge state with just bits and pieces of vehicle all over the racetrack and chaos, real chaos and smoke and nobody really knowing what was what was happening. And fortunately, nobody else was sort of involved in in the next sort of... The aftermath. Aftermath, yeah, yeah. yeah let's say. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, I think that the standards have improved and I think that things are heading in the right direction but you can't ever take your foot off the throttle with this sort of stuff and you've got to all the time be looking at ways you can improve and I think 
that they understand that. And I think that they're doing, you know, working with the FIA, um, working with, you know, the, the, the level now of the driver's briefing and, and the way that we go through everything, you know, with the slow zones and those sorts of things. I think it has got better, but there's still stuff that they could do. What's your view on the opening up of the Porsche curves, not of the actual racing line, but of the pushing the walls back, which has been an ongoing process, sort of culminating last year. Some yeah. people have been very critical. Other people have been very supportive. Where, where do you lie? Yeah. I mean, there was always that sort of the first few years that I went there, it was that sort of moment of coming into the Porsche curves. You sort of would take a little bit of a deep breath and, and go, okay, now you're going to sort of be driving really fast through a very narrow part of racetrack and a car that's on very low downforce um, and there's no margin for error. You know, you make a mistake and you're in the wall. And so you sort of did have to sort of, you know, build yourself up as you're coming coming up to the Porsche curves. You sort of be, all right, let's get ready for this, you know. But you would develop a rhythm. You develop a flow. And, and for such a big track, it's funny how you can get that for Le Mans. You know, you just, you get into a routine and a rhythm and a flow and the Porsche curves is just another part of that. And so the wall being there or not being there, I'm still driving it the same way. I'm still driving it to the limit that I feel and I feel in control of what I'm doing. It's, it's I suppose, only when you go over the limit and then you end up on the grass or you end up, you know, out of control that you're going, actually, you know, I would, wouldn't mind a bit more room here. You know, yeah, if something goes wrong, yes, it would be nice if I could have that little bit more runoff area. But uh, I su it it does does detract a little bit, you know, from it. Um, but safety is a huge thing. And, you know, I think that they've done a lot of good things. Um, and I, They've done far more good things than they have. I'd, I'd absolutely agree with you. Yeah. You know, and and yes, there might be some people who are saying, "Oh, you know, I think it's 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 taken away some of the character." There's a little bit of that, but not much. It's still the same corner, mm -hmm. same corners. Yeah. You know, my argument would be, and I I know I have mixed emotions about it. My argument would be, is if the walls weren't moved back, at some point there'd be another big accident. Yeah. And then we'd lose that section. Um, chicane would go in or it would just be you know changed beyond recognition and it's a good point and no and the character lost you know and that's of course that's that's the dilemma that motor racing circuits have been facing for 40 years isn't yes it? yeah and, I, and and you know i think one of the things about le mans when you go there each year i think as drivers you you get this sort of real sort of sense of okay this place is really fast this place we're driving around here on low downforce, like it's the car feels and handles and moves like no other track that we go to, not even Daytona, you know, really. Um, and you, you sort of get this real sort of sense. It has just that unique quality and that unique feel. And it takes, you almost have to have a bit of a switch of mindset um, about the place and, understand that you're going to be operating and running at some really, really high speeds for a very, very long time. And just understand that and know that. And, you know, if something goes wrong, you, 
you know, it's it's likely that the accident's going to be quite a long one. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about, with all the success you've had there, the five wins obviously have all come in in a class battle, incredibly competitive. But is there, is there any part of you that wishes you could have had a go at winning outright? Because clearly you have the ability to, to do that. But because uh, you know, to, to have won Le Mans outright is obviously the thing everyone everyone you, looks to. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you do. You, you do look up there. You do look to, you know, the likes of Marcel and, 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 and Mike and, and, you know, realise that those guys have won it outright, which is really special for them. Um, and, yeah, you know, I think we we all would would look at that and go, yeah, that's that would be pretty special to do. But we also realise that we're driving for a brilliant team. We're racing in in most probably the best class in the race um, with some of them, the, 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 you know, actual great racing, you know, all the way throughout the race. And, uh, you know, I think that gives you a great sense of sort of satisfaction if you come away victorious. Um, yeah, I think that we, we all as drivers would like to have taken that overall victory. That would be pretty special to do. But again, I'm lucky the fact that I've been able to do this race, you know, the the 18 times, 19 coming up, and and I've been doing it for a factory team. So I, I'm I'm not going to stand here and go, it's not fair. I wish I'd had a chance to go, you know, for the outright because I think I've been more than lucky enough. The other thing is, imagine if that was the battle for the outright. If you could say you could have a Le Mans with obviously the 17 GT Pro cars, very strong lineups. Imagine you could have Ferrari, Corvette. BMW, Aston Martin, the, the, you know these great marks all going hammer and tongs. That that would be incredible, wouldn't it? They would get my and, vote. And, and, <laughs> and, and the battle always is incredible, but it's always got that slight damper on it because it's not for for the outright. And, and and just to think what that sort of race would be like would be it would be absolutely sensational. It it, it certainly would be. Um, I don't know whether it would add any more spice to it or not. Um, but not, I, not for those in it, I wouldn't have thought. No, because everybody is pushing I'm thinking in terms as of the wider perception of the race. You could say, yeah. look at what's going Because some, some of the GT Pro races the past years have been absolutely ridiculous, really, in terms of how, how, how close and competitive they Think of the one that you weren't involved in because it was a Ford and Ferrari affair in 2016. Wasn't that a great race? I mean, Ferrari might say Ford were playing with them, but, you know, Ferrari, Volander and... Uh, those guys were ragging it weren't they and it was a great race yes yes it was i wasn't watching it that closely (laughs) but um uh you know but yes i mean there there has been some fantastic races in in our class and you know maybe that's something that the 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 aco and and the fia and those guys are are still sitting there trying to we know there's gte plus has been discussed who's pushing it the hardest we don't really know you know there's talk about it happening as the premier class for 2020 2021 okay it's hard to say you know is it going to happen don't know Hmm. uh we're expecting more news um during le mans week okay but yeah yeah i mean it's uh, yeah the prototype class is has been so strong for so long and and i think p2 is Mm is really strong you know when you look at that i think there's a there's a huge amount of interest in that and there's some great teams and some very professional and and, and well-run outfits and some great drivers in it and uh yeah it's it's 
it is a multi-class race. And Do you think it should be? Because the funny thing is that when I first started following Le Mans properly in the 80s, you know, reading Autosport, the, the snippets that you could find on yeah. TV and radio, uh, which which were really just snippets, no GT cars. It was, uh, well, there was a handful of Group B cars, which then disappeared in the late 90s. So it was basically Group C1, and then the smaller cars, Group C2, or it's initially called Group C Junior. So don't forget that GT cars only came back in 1993. And obviously, GT cars are part of uh, the heritage of Le Mans. But it's funny how the sands shift, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think so much of this is obviously driven by the money, what manufacturers want, what uh, the direction that things are going and, and the business model that's there in, sort of in place. And I think that the World Endurance Championship and the way that that operates and then way, the way that Le Mans is, um, it has to stay a multi-class championship. And I can't see it moving away. I think both on... Uh, on the other side of the Atlantic in the United States, it's, it's multi-class, it's three three classes and and I think that that WEC will stay four I suppose there's a possibility it could go to three but I think it's it's they're, they're set and they want to keep it that I way think you're right the present yeah the I present for the probably my uh, time of going to Le Mans right we'll we'll see a four class three class maybe a five class setup yeah I don't think uh, it, I can't it see there change. being much different really mm-hmm. not now not at the moment well, before we wrap up, let's just put you on, on the spot, Gary, because we do have a, a great of Le Mans here. Mm-hmm. How would you rate and evaluate what Oliver Gavin has done at Le Mans as a driver to have this long career, all this success, and still be there at the top uh, so many years? Yeah, come on, Gary, how have I stuff. done? Well, we, we know the, that people the, get annoyed the boy, with what you write boy, sometimes. So the we, boy's we can have done good, feedback. isn't he? Not, not bad for a uh, Formula First champion, I would <laughs> yes, say. 1991 <laughs> Formula First champion. I still remember it. Yeah, all of those years ago. Well, I mean... The most amazing thing is, okay, you've got five victories. You could have had more. How many, how many, f- three more podiums at Le Mans? Yeah, f- uh, three Eight. or four. Three yeah. or four. I had a podium with the, my very first one with Celine. Of course, Yeah, yes. my very first race yeah. there. Got um, a, I was pole position in the class yeah. in, in 2001. Which, of course, with was Celine. with Ray Malak. No. That was, was that with, Conrad as well? That, that was Franz Conrad. But it was, it oh, was, okay. it was the Conrad's. Uh, speed lab ah right yeah. oh, so there was Steve Celine Franz mm-hmm. Conrad uh, that's another whole story yeah. with the way that that was run and done and, uh-huh. but yeah qualified the car on pole I mean yeah I mean an amazing I mean there aren't too many drivers who've got as many um, class victories as yourself but going back to what we are talking about before so many years with one manufacturer I, I, I've looked into it and I I can't. I think you're a record breaker, <laughs> and that is that's you know it's an amazing program, and you're part of it. In it has been, yeah. I mean, as you said earlier, you know, the, at the beginning, you you pinch yourself sometimes. Yeah. And if, if 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 I'd have told you, oh yeah, in in nineteen um, sorry in two thousand and nineteen, you'll be celebrating your, you know. Well, Corvette will be celebrating its 20th year yeah. and you'll st- still be with them. Yeah. We'd have, we'd have had a little laugh, wouldn't yes. we? <laughs> yeah, I think I would have. Uh, but th- th- there's, one, there's one thing that um, I was looking at the other day 
And since 2003, I have started the race for the number 64 car. And I have started it every single year since then. I've, I've always been the first guy in the car. I've never actually... So the only time I've ever been at Le Mans with Corvette and watched the start of the race from the pit box was the very first year that I did it How in 2002. How bizarre. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's... I was trying to figure out whether that was a record or not. Well, I'm, I, again, it could easily be. Could right. Be. <laughs> it's a bit of a weird stat, but, yeah. you know. But it is amazing to take the start there. You've got to say, it's... it's, it's, it's uh, it's one of those uh, one of those things where you 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 see everybody's racing really hard, and you sort of think, okay, it's going to calm down. It will calm down in a minute, and then with our class, it just continues, <laughs> and it just continues for the next twenty four hours. Well, I'm sure it's going to be a, a, another fantastic Le Mans and the GTE Pro Battle will be will be fantastic. So all the best for you. Obviously, it's uh, there's always a bit of luck at play at uh, at Le Mans, but it's going to be a, a fantastic battle. And thanks for sharing some of your experiences. Well, thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and thanks also, Gary Watkins. Well, there'll be all sorts of uh, news on autosport.com about the Le Mans 24 Hours. Autosport magazine, as Gary mentioned, always have our preview supplements where you can you can get your uh, insight into all the, the runners and riders and some of the stories surrounding out the race. Out on June the 6th, I believe. June 6th, so it will be out when you, uh, when you listen to, to this podcast. Uh, do check out sister titles, motorsport.com, F1 Racing Magazine out monthly, and Motorsport News out every Wednesday. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo. Written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. Redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. American Giant is the leading manufacturer of American-made clothing. When you choose American Giant, you are saying yes to clothes made under the highest standards, ones that support sustainable jobs, living wages, safe working conditions, and use high-quality materials. Plus, they have a full range of timeless, durable basics for men and women. Wear your values in the new year. Get 20% off with code NY23 at American-Giant.com. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com. Code NY23. Sports Social Podcast Network.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.